rolling. Hello there, Andy and Zach, back for another A to Z No BS show. Coming at you from the East Nashville Beer Works. On this, a hot last Monday in June. Yeah, that's right. What's today, the 25th? Uh, bro, I think it's the 26th. Yes, it's the 26th. And it's gonna be 100 degrees later this week. Yeah, man. Well, half the year flew by like that. Oh yeah, wow. Before I know I'm gonna be celebrating that, that baby girl's one year birthday. Oh man, in no time. God, what is happening to in time? In no time. Um, well, yeah, we did take her swimming yesterday, so that was cool. Speaking of taking summer swimming, um, I don't think, have we had a episode since we were on Vanessa and Robbie's houseboat? No. I don't think we have. Um, yeah, I don't think so. That was super fun. Actually, that, their houseboat's super cool. I had a great time. Yeah, shout out to uh, Vanessa, fan of the show. Mm-hmm. Guest of the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, her husband, Robbie. Yeah, mm-hmm. they've got a pretty rad little houseboat out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, we had a great time. We'd like to go back out there. Uh, maybe in July we can swing that. Um, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, y'all did some kettlebell stuff. You did some kettlebell content. We did do a little bit of kettlebell content, even though it was against my better judgment, considering I was still in recovery mode from probably one too many beverages at the Fish Lips. Did you get? I, I, we showed up at like ten, and you were still in bed. Yes, I was. I don't think I went to sleep until four. Good Lord. Yes. Buddy. All right, kids. Sleep is important. Yeah, go to bed. Don't do drugs. Or do drugs, but then go to bed. Just make sure that someone knows where you are. Well, yeah. So all that to say, you and Megan and Baby Summer came out and uh, floated around on the houseboat. That was really fun. That might actually be where she got her, Megan got her swimmer's ear oh no maybe or or we went to a different lake no that was too long ago anyway megan's got this crud in her throat and in her nasal cavities and her ears are hurting so they she thinks she has some she went to the minute clinic today and got hopefully and got some drops so hopefully she gets that sorted out so yeah she's not feeling 100 percent all that but hate that well it happens yeah well, all that to say, time's rolling on, summer's rolling on, summer the season is rolling on, mm-hmm. and summer the baby is growing up pretty fast. We have had a really busy summer so far, and I actually don't mind it. Yeah. It's a lot to keep up with, but it's kind of nice to like have plans and like go do stuff. Mm-hmm. It's also nice to like not do anything at all, but we haven't had one of those weekends in a while. Sure. We're talking technique today. What is technique? What is good technique? What is bad technique? Andy and I think you you brought up the question that depending on who it's coming from, the question that I either love to hear or I really don't love to hear, which is, am I doing this right? Does this look right? Does this look right? Is this right? I literally respond. I'm like, I don't know. How does it feel? 
How does it, it, it has to be like way off the wall, like aberrant for me to like step in and be like, let's not do that. Mm. Sure. And most people I think are probably too conservative anyway to really put themselves under like so much duress that their technique starts to look a little bit shaky. Sure. You know, like it's our job to like push people, but like most people are going to hold way back to where the load and their technique are probably not mismatched all that often. Well, especially when someone is under your tutelage for right. like a period of time. Right. It's one thing when someone's asking you, hey Andy, is this, is this right when they've been training with you for three months to three years and you have progressed and programmed them over a long enough span of time where they're not making any sort of wild leap. Right. Yeah, the only time that ever really happens, the only time I can think of that happening is when I'm trying to introduce the safety bar for the first time. Okay. It's just, a, it's just a goofy bar, and it's not bad technique. It's just there. It's uncomfortable, and people look like baby giraffes under it sometimes. Sure. But that's when you can introduce constraints. Like for example, I'll put the bench under their butt, so they have like a depth finder. <clears throat> and if they don't like to go that low, I can put a plate on top of that. So like I can kind right. of meet them in the middle when they're starting to learn with the safety bar. The major issue with the safety bar or any barbell is just the re-rack. Mm. Everybody's ginger, like too ginger with the re-rack. Like, even when I demonstrate, I'm like, run into the rack. Like, hit that rack. Make contact. I don't want, I don't want a soft, gentle. We're not wiping babies' noses, okay? We're weight training. We're rack the fucking bar, man. Just put it back on. Slam there. it. Just slam it in there. Slam it in, slam it down. It's just funny that people are so like careful with it. I'm like, don't right. be careful with it. It's metal. Yeah. In J arms. Like I would rather if any at the end of the day, I would rather you try to break my bar and break my rack than you miss the rack and it come crumbling down on top of you. You know? Break my bar, break my rack. You know how hard it is. Do not break my heart. You know how hard it is to break anything in that room? I've tried. It's hard. Your window, on your front door, on the other hand, is pretty easy. You throw a kettlebell through that thing, it's not oh, going well, yeah. to take much to break that. Right. But, yes. So, now, speaking to your point, um, people being, I, I think there's, there's a type of person that is overly cautious, and then there's a type of person that we, like you and me, probably don't see very much, but I think maybe in certain gyms, in certain training cultures, People probably see a lot, which is people like just gunning it and and obviously demonstrating what we would consider bad technique. Now, I would say this is kind of this was kind of always my idea, but I had never heard it articulated until I went to a workshop with um, Dave Whitley. Uh, I guess a, a well-known figure in the in the kettlebell space. He basically put it as he put it like this. Good technique is any movement that moves you closer to your goals. Okay. Bad technique is obviously any form or any exercise that moves you away from your goals. 
And he was definitely talking about that in the context of talking about an example of like someone with like someone doing like uh, like a military press or an overhead press of some kind that was like kind of wonky, kind of janky. But that person also had scoliosis. Right. And that person also was experiencing no pain. Now you could also say like, well, orthopedically, is there something else going on? Well, maybe, but that's maybe also kind of beyond the scope of, you know, maybe the, the simplistic conversation that we're having. But his major point was, I think we're hitting at a little bit is, is that good technique kind of has a range. Sure. Now, of course, if I can bring up one more time, you compliment me on very textbook technique. Oh, yeah. So thank you again yeah, for, for pointing that sharp. out. Yes, thank you. I'll take every compliment I can get. Precise. But I can't... I can't hold anybody else to my standard of movement. Okay. You know? So I think we can agree that there's like a range and that there's also like technique and types of technique that people can do that is, you know, if all you've been taught is a strict military press and then you see someone doing a push press, you would say, well, what is that? That is, that's bad technique. Right. Well, it's, it's a different technique. Right. <clears throat> but it's still getting work done and under the right constraints with the right, you know, background and context, it's as valuable as anything else in getting training volume and going back to what, you know, Dave said, getting someone closer to their goal. You know, on the other hand, your goal might be to do, you know, your goal might be to get um, jacked shoulders and arms. And in that case, it doesn't matter how good your leg extension technique is, that's not moving you closer to your sure. overall goal. So I think you could also bring into the conversation like exercise selection, programming constraints, things like this. So we're kind of getting into the weeds here, um, but this overarching conversation and this, this question of is this right, is this good technique, has so much gray area because there's so much context involved in it. Right. And that's and like kind of what makes it fun. Individual variability and all that. So there, you touched on a lot of different like notes there. Like for, you know, for example, I mentioned off air, on air, off air, the safety bar. It's just a goofy tool that people have never experienced before. If I were to judge good or bad technique off their first exposure to the safety bar, like that's not a great lens to look at it because they've never done it before. Right. So if it looks like trash, that's to be expected because they've never done it. Sometimes like it just the novelty of the exercise, it's not going to look great. And to your point, I think, again, I think you're very technically precise but if I were to gauge technical proficiency of all of my clients based on your, like, let's say I used you as a standard, I don't think anybody would ever get there. Like, 
I'll take that as high praise. Yeah, I mean, that's a testament to like how precise that you are in your movement. I've joked that for how precise that you are in your movement, I'm pretty loosey-goosey in my own. Like sure. pound for pound, lift for lift, yours looks great. Mine looks a little bit waffly, for lack a little, of a better little word. A little loose. A little loose. I don't, I don't know any car automobile terminology but i'm i'm trying to think of there's some play in there there's some play there's, there's a little some play, bit of play in the steering <laughs> there's a little right? play in the steering okay there we go um you, you're a, you know you're that. an indy car okay i'm and, tight and i am like a 1990 celica or okay. a little bit of loose loose play in the steering <laughs> now at the, the same time would you drive a celica at 200 miles an hour with other indy cars no mm. Did the weight move? Yes. Did you get from point A to point B? Right. Was there risk involved? In my case, I don't think so. Like, I've been doing this long enough that I, 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 the weight got from point A to point B. And you even see this, like, at the elite level. The guys that can deadlift, like, 800, 900 pounds, their back might be rounding a little bit. Are you going to sit there and be like, mm, well, their technique wasn't great. It's like they just deadlifted 900 pounds. Like they got it off the ground. If the task of deadlifting at the professional level is to get it off the ground and lock it out, they did that. So whether their back rounded a little bit is kind of a moot point. Like they accomplished the task. So like also I don't deadlift anywhere near that. It's a little bit hard for me to be like, yeah, well, they rounded their back in their 900 pound deadlift like an idiot. Be like, I don't know how they did it and I don't know how they do it. That's why they're elite. I don't know how they do it. That's why they're elite and I'm not. Right. So like even at the uber like best level, you can look at technique and be like, well, technically their background did a little bit, but did they accomplish the task? Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So like, that's why is this good technique? I'm putting air quotes on this. Is this good technique? It's like, well, did the weight move and did you feel okay? Mm. In which case, that's good enough for me. Yeah. I think there's also a component of motor learning. You know, I mean, because again, we, we can't expect anyone to have textbook technique their first time trying something. Right. So I think technique is also a bit of a, a moving target or it's, a, it's an exploratory thing. So if, if you're getting better every time you do it, then, I mean, that's, that's kind of the most important thing, you know, in that, in that learning process. You know, speaking to the, the safety bar squat, you know, the first time, someone's got Bambi legs. Second time, a little bit less. They're a little bit more stable. Third time, they're a little bit more. So sometimes, like, we're kind of mistaking bad technique with the actual training effect because the actual training effect is by its very nature uh subjecting the body to something that is a novel stimulus mm -hmm. and and your body figuring out how to how to manage it right so if if someone did a, a safety bar squat or insert any other exercise perfectly the first time i mean either a that particular lifter is just a, a natural and, and, a, and a super adept athlete and can just execute 
like on a dime, you know, or the exercise is too easy. It's not challenging enough. Right. Um, again, assuming that this is like a, a new exercise. So yeah, again, like part of technique is it's this ever evolving thing because it should be something that could be getting sharper, you know, every, with every exposure. Right. You know? And at the same time, I don't, I think it would be, I think it's naive to think of technique in terms of like an end point. Mm. Um, as like a goal to achieve or a line to cross. Because I think you could get too much in the weeds of like, again, air quotes of like perfect technique that you could understimulate. Right. Right. If you're too overly cautious about how a particular lift looks, you might not be training that hard, you know? I don't think that there's, I don't think you should be searching for this perfect execution of a lift every single time. A more optimal version than like when you first started, maybe. But, but I think perfect technique or the idea of it being right is that there's a right way and a wrong way, and if we do it the wrong way, that injury is like just around the corner. And that just makes the human body appear to be very fragile. And that's not the case. Like the human body is capable of moving through a lot of different motions and loads and so on and so forth, with the risk of injury being pretty low. So should I walk into a gym cold and deadlift 900 pounds? No, like that's an absolute, no way. But can I walk into a gym and deadlift 225 cold? Probably. It's about 50% of my max-ish. So I could probably just grip and rip. But like, yeah, I mean, I don't think that this is something that you should pursue in terms of like technique, like this gold standard. I don't think it exists. I don't think it's worth pursuing. Um, and I think that if you're more hyper-concerned about how precise your technique is, that you're probably not overloading enough. You know, I think there's this careful dance between load and reps and volume and technique. Like you really need to start playing with load and your technique might falter when you, we pressed what, 80s the other day? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did, do you think you, you, well, I'll comment. Your 80s presses looked sharp. Thank you. I, I don't think that my 80s presses looked as sharp as my 65s or whatever we did before that. Right. So... Did I die? No. no. Did the weight move? Yes, it did. 13 times. Couldn't help but notice. I, so I'm just saying. Couldn't help but notice there's a lot more you than know, mine. You know, it might not have looked as clean as my 65s, but it still moved 13 times. So, yeah. so there's, a lot, there's a lot of different parts and pieces to this whole, like, is this right technique question. I think the only time it's ever wrong wrong is when we mismatch your abilities in load. Right. Like again, going back to like my 900 pound deadlift, even if I were to warm up, I'm not going to pull, I'm not going to pull 500. That is like, that's an inherent risk. Like, don't do that. But if I were to warm up and ramp up to, let's say like somewhere in the 300s, I'd probably be okay. Yeah. Um, and, and this is another part of it. Your technique is going to change as the load changes because your body is going to reorient itself. Do you think your barbell squat, again, I'm going to speak for you, your barbell squat and your 225 pound squat probably look exactly the same. 
Mine does not. My barbell squat and my 225 pound squat don't look the same. It's a matter of 45 pounds versus 225. My body is going to reorient itself to try to manage the load. So like, if you were to gauge my 225 squat technique versus my 45 pound bar technique, you'd be like, well, that's bad technique. It's like, again, did the bar move? Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, yeah, it's, it's hard to use me as a standard and I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm a tooting my own horn. Perfect specimen of technique over I here. I mean, listen, <laughs> you said it, but uh, again, you know, it's going back to this whole idea of like, I, I've always tried to like, always approach my training in the, with the frame of like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dedicate like extreme effort into like extremely good technique. Now, does that mean that I leave reps on the table? Assuredly, yes, absolutely. Um, so again, that's why I, you know, upholding my movement as a standard kind of has, has its pros and cons. But going back to something like jujitsu, jujitsu technique is like uh, this, this whole other like huge conversation. You, you get into a jujitsu class on your first day and you are a fish out of water in such a profound way that asking about technique, I still don't, I still do not even bother about asking about technique. Um, because it's, a, it's such a matter of muscle memory and just getting comfortable with the general overall patterns and like knowing where you are, where your opponent is, and where you need to go. Right. You know? Now, again, there are some parallels you can draw to training. Some are maybe a little bit of a stretch. But, you know, when you ask, like, your jujitsu professor, hey, am I doing this right? You know, they kind of give you that look like it's kind of good enough. You just have to do it. 10,000 more times. Right. <laughs> and if, if you end up like where you're supposed to, or if your uh, opponent taps out, well then, yeah. That's good enough. That's good enough. Yeah. I think that's what we should strive for in terms of technique is like good enough. Good enough. That's why, like, again, when you say like, is this right? it implies that there is a wrong. And I would argue that there's probably, there are probably terminal ends, right, of right and wrong in movement, but it is a vast sea of space where you can kind of just play with it, figure it out. And, yeah. and you know, again, is the task to move the weight from point A to point B? Did you accomplish that task? Then it was good enough for me. Right. Did, you, did your opponent tap out? Good enough for you. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think... I'm trying to figure out if there's any other arena where we think of things in these terms of, like, tech, like technical proficiency. And I, like... Well, you know, a lot of times in sports, it's the outliers that... 
you know, I, I, that that end up, you know, standing out, you I know, was, in terms of technique. I was thinking about this. The, as fa- we, the I, I'm sorry not to interrupt you. The the technique in um, pole vaulting. What's it called? The Fos the Fosbury flop. Yeah. Right. It so changed the game, didn't it? It changed the game because nobody had ever considered like going over the um, the the pole. What's it called? The bar. The crossbar. The bar. The crossbar. Nobody had ever considered going over it. What is it? Feet first and backwards, or something like that. I don't know. Yep. Sure. Like that was not the technique, but like once somebody did it. And they realized, oh, you can get an extra. Are you talking about the? Are you talking about pole vaulting? Are you talking about the high jump? Pole. I'm pretty sure it's pole vaulting. Oh, because I know the the high jump used to be, they would jump and go belly down over the bar, but then they realized that if you, you went go, backwards over the bar, maybe they, maybe I am thinking about high jump. I think it's high jump because I I know okay. that that was the the key. I didn't know for sure that it was the same with pole vaulting or not. All right, we'll, we'll Google. I'm pretty sure it's called the, Fo- the Fosbury. The Fosbury Flop, I think is what it's called. Right. You know, Dan John talks about it. Yeah. But it was, you know, it's at the time, what, in the 50s or the 60s or whatever it was, like that was not good technique, but it was also not illegal. But it was also a way that, oh, the human body can get two feet higher by doing this thing. And right. then suddenly add the, all the records jumped up by doing this other technique. Right. But yeah, so that's like an obvious example, just thinking about like outliers in sport. Right. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking about that too. I can't remember who it was, but it was like, this was probably about 10 years ago. And it was a, as a an SEC football player, like, um, like Jadavian Clowney or um, somebody else. And they were doing like biomechanics analysis on his vertical jump and they found that whenever he would like preload and then jump to like he had like an insane vertical jump like he could jump really fucking high but then when they slowed the camera down and then did like this biomechanical analysis his knees valgus whatever valgus his knee valgus his knees broke in towards the center line, like a lot, like a lot, a lot. If you were to measure him based on, again, air quotes, a perfect looking vertical jump, his knees probably wouldn't valgus. They probably wouldn't like cave in as he's jumping. And yet this specimen of an athlete was jumping higher than most people and his knees were caving in every single time he did it. This happens at the elite level of the Olympics, on the mm. Olympic lifts, actually. Sure. They're like, oh, my knees are breaking in on my squat. It's like, have you ever seen these guys that clean 400-some-odd pounds? Their knees are all over the damn place. And they still clean the weight and stand up with it. Or they don't. But they don't really usually get hurt, hurt doing it. All that is to say, some people just have an insane amount of, like, tissue tolerance again going back to this idea that the human body is not that fragile you know you're not porcelain like you're more like gumby than you are like porcelain so yeah things are going to bend and twist and move and whatever but it's very hard to break anything so going back to this like ideal technique or perfect technique or is this right it's like 
just move through it and see how it feels and see how it yeah. goes. Like, there's no, it's not necessarily wrong. Did you get hurt doing it? Then it's not wrong. Yeah, you know, like take skiing, for example. I was like, you know what? My, my skiing technique is great. And I thought, well, nobody specifically told me not to ski into a ski lift pole, but I tried it out and it turns out for me, that was a bad technique. Yeah. Because it turns out, you know. You're testing it, the integrity of your shin bones. It shattered my shin bones. So, but, but I learned. And, um, you know, for me, that's bad technique. And I just, I won't do that again. Yeah. Um, avoid the ski lift bowls. Yeah. That's a pretty obvious one, though. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, that's the thing. is just, I, mi I miss that YouTube video. I miss that lesson. Next time. Do do not run and do not ski into that. Yeah. Yeah. You were just testing the integrity of the ski lift pole, really. Turns out it's pretty sturdy. <laughs> Turns out. It's a pretty, pretty sturdy pole. Pretty sturdy. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, you see this all the time with athletes. I, I think. Look at this. This is an interesting example. What's here on the TV? What's going on here? Shot putter runs 100 meter, meter hurdles to save Belgium from disqualification. Well, that's interesting. Now that's interesting. That's cool. A shot putter who ostensibly has no reason to ever train the hurdles, so she doesn't really jump, in order to save her team from disqualification, for some reason, had to jump hurdles. And was that great hurdle jumping? No, but did she do it? But did she do it? And did she save her team from disqualification? Yes, she did. Right. Oh, that was funny. Yeah, I think, yeah, if you were to measure her um, hurdle jumping technique versus hurdle jumping for the people who do it, it was not good technique. But did she survive and complete the task? She sure did. I would have. I wish they would have shown her shot putting. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah. But in any case, yeah. Fine example. Fine example of like. There's also something to be said about just being overall strong or capable enough to just hot dog your way through something. So I'm gonna bring this up, and I'm curious your take on it. One of my clients, who asks this question about is her technique is right also plays tennis and she watches a lot of tennis and some of the male athletes like on the tour or I don't watch tennis so forgive my ignorance about all these terms I'm about to use but some of the male athletes on the like the the pro series tour whatever they sometimes run into injuries on the court and a commentator for the sport made um uh, made a comment or an observation that maybe some of these guys that are getting hurt on the court are because they are, and this is, this is what she told me they said. So again, there's a lot of leeway with this context that they are air quotes, almost too strong that there's like too much mm. torque on their knees cause they're too strong and they're getting hurt. Sure. 
you and I probably both have a wheel spinning about that comment right now. Um, injuries in weight training are incredibly rare because it's a very controlled environment, right? There's a weight, there's a rep range. As you fatigue or you get tired, you usually quit. That, that's about it. In a sport like tennis, where I played lacrosse, or even on, in, in skiing or snowboarding, it's a very dynamic changing environment where your body's having to make different movements and different corrections on an ever-changing field of play. The risk of injury skyrockets just because you don't really know what you're getting into, right? Now, the idea that these athletes are hurt, getting hurt or tweaking their knees because they have too much torque or whatever, I don't know if I buy that. So, and I think this is related to what we're talking about because if technique is bad, then injuries result, right? So I think this is a related topic. In this particular instance, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's impossible to say. Was he fully recovered, this athlete who, who tore his knee or whatever? Was he fully recovered? Did he train really hard the day before? Had, you know, did he eat well? Did he sleep well? Did he drink enough water? You know, did he just plant wrong and move funny? Whatever. At the end of the day, in this particular instance, the only thing I can chalk it up to is that his tissues in that moment, that split second in time, his tissues did not have the tolerance for the load at the time. So I don't think it's a strength issue. I think it's just a dynamic environment and putting yourself in a bad position. Like, there's nothing you can say about that. I don't think there's nothing you can do to train for that. Right. So I don't, I don't believe this idea of like being too strong unless somehow, not even, I'm not even gonna go there because that's a dumb thing. I don't, th- I don't believe you can be too strong and that's a detractor for your sport. If you're maintaining or improving your technical skills, like how you serve, I don't play tennis, so forgive me, how you play the game of tennis, as long as your technical skills are up there, being bigger, stronger, and faster can only mean better things, in my opinion. Sure. Well, I've uh, never held a tennis racket, so that's how far my opinion goes. But I can definitely see both, both sides of the coin. Um, I think, again, there's a lot of nuance there because what we consider like strength training could be wildly different than what someone else's idea, like maybe what these commentators' idea of strength training is, or maybe even what those athletes are like engaging in. You know, so it's like who... Who really knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what we would consider baked into smart strength training is training that is also not like overly insulting to the joints. You know, because it's really, it's, you know, speaking to your point, like when you overtrain, so to speak, when you get an injury from overtraining, 99 times out of 100, it's at the joint level. Sure. Right? You know, muscles, we can beat the hell out of them. It's joints and connective tissue that, 
that we have to be careful of. And a lot of that can come down to proper programming, proper recovery, proper nutrition, supplementation. There's, there's a lot to that. Um, but yeah, I think we would consider a stronger athlete to be a more robust athlete. And that inherently would mean that the risk of injury, the risk, the relative risk would always go down. Right. But on the other hand, I can also see like how, you know, someone would say like, you know, when you look at like the evolution of athletics over the course of the past hundred years, you know, generations ago, people just didn't play as hard. Football, basketball, baseball, and I guess probably even tennis, people just, you know, years and years and years ago were smaller and dare I say, weaker people. And, you know, <laughs> obviously over the course of time, we've gotten bigger, faster, stronger. So, and the, the, the level of, you know, the type of specimen you have to be to be a professional athlete goes up and up and up and up. Truthfully, I think that physical fitness has probably been the, the single most um, obvious, like, like, thing to raise the bar. In athletics. Sure. Like being stronger, faster, fitter, because if you're the strongest and fastest and your technical proficiency is high, you're going to smoke everybody. Right. So now all of a sudden everyone's like, well, shit, I got to start, like, I got to start weightlifting and like, I got to be fast and strong and powerful. I think strength training and, and how, um, uh, like prolific it's become over the last 20, 30 years has single-handedly raised the bar in terms of athletics. Now, For you sure. might have, like, your standout athletes. Like, if you were to put Michael Jordan in his prime on a court today, would he be Michael Jordan? Mm. I don't know. I don't maybe. Know. Maybe. But would he be as standout? Because I, we could argue that he's one of the most skilled players that ever played the game. But where you lack in skill, you make up for in physical fitness. Would he still edge out everybody on the court? I don't know. We can't do that. We don't know. We yeah. can argue, and especially people who love basketball, and people. There might be people listening to this later that are like, "This fucking idiot doesn't know what he's talking about." I didn't grow up watching Jordan. I just know that he was a stud athlete. But if you were to put Jordan on the court with a lot of those guys today, I wonder if he would still outshine everybody. If he would still be Michael Jordan. Right. Right. So, I, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, timing is everything. I mean, he was, what? He was huge in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Take a time machine. Go pick him up. Bring him back. Let him play against LeBron James and settle this debate once and for all. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, it's something that I may have mentioned on the podcast before, but one of the coolest things about having Dan John come in for Liftapalooza was hearing his stories about him like convincing track and field coaches and even like football coaches to have athletes lift weights. Right. Because they didn't. They didn't. And that, that's crazy. They didn't. And, you and Dan know, John is not that old, but he's old enough to know a time when that wasn't the case. When that was not the standard. And as, you know, basically he put it, back in the day when he would tell 
when they would, he would tell people to lift weights, they looked at him like he was crazy because the stereotype was weightlifting, strength training, would make you stiff, inflexible, and gay. Because <laughs> that was just the only, you know, that was just the only, it was just the only idea that people had in their minds, you know. You would only be, you know, you, you get the pump and then just by, you know, just by your physiology, yes, intermediately, um, you'd be gay. You would <laughs> lose range of motion because you'd have such a pump. You know what's wild is that and you Tom get sore Brady, and you get stiff. Yeah. Tom Brady's personal trainer said similar things as recently as like five years ago. That's yeah, it's, crazy. It's, to it's me. my understanding that he's a big uh, resistance band guy. Right, because he doesn't want to get too bulky. Right. This is where things get this tricky. This is where things can get tricky. This because again, things, if if LeBron James came to me and was like, I want to train with you in the off season, you know what I would do? Nothing all that crazy that would offset his performance. He's he's made it. He's made it. You know what? He's he's there. He made he's at the show. I'm not gonna sit here and with an ego on me and be like, maybe I can squeeze out an extra at his level, what, one percent in performance? At the risk of setting him back, like he he performs at such a high level. Same with Tom Brady. He performs at such a high level that all you want to do with those athletes at that level is just keep them in the game. Just not hurt them. Yeah. You can do anything. You could literally, like I joke about it with my clients, like I'm like, let's go get hash browns and talk about it. You could do that. And they would still be fine. They would kill it. You go get hash browns instead of training, and LeBron James would probably still dunk on everybody that night. That's crazy to me. So there are, but those are the exceptions to the rule. Those are the exceptions. Far and away the exceptions. I, I don't think anybody listening to this podcast is going to be like, so what you're saying is I can just eat hash browns and still be a monster. I'm like, no. Not you. Not you. <laughs> not you or your friends. No, no, or no. anyone you know. Not a single one of y'all. And also to find someone at the professional level who doesn't lift weights and still competes. Like right. that's non-existent. That's not a thing anymore. Yeah. Well, that's another good example of like, hey, an outlier who's, who's found success, maybe in spite of his training. I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe there is something to be said about, you know, when you are talking about super duper fine motor skills. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, but when you're a quarterback. I'll put it this way. <sighs> You're not smashing into people, so you can get away with like less of that physicality, I guess. <laughs> I, but still. I think this is a funny... I watched a documentary once, and I, I'm hoping I can figure out a way to tie this all in. I watched a documentary one time that followed a group of people who were trying to become sommeliers. Trying to become sommeliers. And they... This one guy was doing like rower, like rower, rower grommet or like row interval. He's doing the CrossFit basically every day. And his thought process was that his physical fitness would help his mental fitness, would help him become a better sommelier. Mm. He did not pass. <laughs> now, aside from the fact that we know as a collective society that most sommeliers like can't taste the difference between really expensive wine and really cheap wine, 
he had a very simple task, which was to identify certain wines, ingredients, mm. smells, flavors, notes, whatever. And he spent a lot of his time doing fitness. That's not a related task. As I've heard it said, keep the goal the goal. Keep the goal the goal. So trying to turn, like bring this all back to like technique and injury or whatever. If you want to be good at a task, do the task, but don't conflate strength training performance in the gym with doing that task. Because as like clearly, at least in LeBron James or Tom Brady's case, you can do anything with them and they're gonna be amazing. It doesn't matter. The sommelier's case, he should have probably been drinking more wine. <laughs> you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Andy Van says, you better be out there drinking more wine. If you want to be good at drinking wine, drink wine. Love it. I think that's a great place to wrap up. In fairness, if you want to be good at squatting, squat. You better squat. If you want to get good at bench pressing, you should bench press. Hey, listen, half, half the game is deciding what you want to be good at. Yep. Right, wrong, indifferent. Complete the task. This has been the A to Z No BS Show. Thank you for completing the task of listening to this episode to its conclusion. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.